0: Hello and a big warm welcome back to the Hotcast. I'm James Rushton, joined once again by Cole and Talk Aston Villa. We're here today to talk about um, the last few Aston Villa results, actually, because we haven't done a podcast in a while. I've been over in the United States and everyone else has been really busy. But no, we're back to business now. We've got to talk about a win over Newcastle on Monday and a well-earned point against Manchester United today. Cole, how are you feeling? I'm feeling
1: very well, James. It's been, what, three weeks? Um, (laughs) And honestly, like I was saying to James a few minutes ago uh, in the pre-record, it feels like this whole podcast just never happened, and we're doing this for the first time, because it's honestly felt like it's been that long. We're down Danny today, because apparently Danny forgets when Villa play half the time, so that's great to know. He did watch, he told me. But uh, aside from that, I'm pretty well. How about yourself?
0: I don't want to own Danny from the get-go, but... He did genuinely forget when Aston Villa were playing. He, I, I believe, he thought it was three o'clock on Saturday, and I was like, "No, no, it's definitely, it's definitely Sunday, mate." And yeah, that's why we're coming in, coming right in at you <laughs> after Villa drew against Manchester United two-two. First thing we'll speak about, Cole, is this draw because it is the the big event. It's the one we're recording directly after. Aston Villa historically haven't went to Old Trafford to play Manchester United and came back with anything. And the last win at, at Old Trafford was a decade ago. Um, obviously we were relegated to the championship we were actually relegated against Manchester United I believe um, back in uh, 15, the 2015-2016 to 2016 season um, but yeah Villa don't go north to Old Trafford and come back with much if if anything at all and um, today we come back with a point a well-earned point and Villa went into the lead then came back from 2-1 down to make it 2-2 um, but the first thing that happens in that match in this today's match call, is an
1: excellent Jack Grealish goal um, what a way to put yourself back on the map eh Oh 100% like where the heck did that come from because when I watched it, and I believe you watched it on TV as well, James, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with yeah, with that being said, it, it didn't really look like it was going to come from anything. It looked like Grealish was being pretty well marked out of play, um, just opened up his body a little bit. And honestly, De Gea looked like it was going to go over the net and it goes perfectly right in to the right top hand corner. Uh, what a brilliant goal. What a way to start. and. Yeah, from there, we're absolutely flying. I think it's a good mirror of
0: the goal Christian Benteke scored a few years ago. So this is maybe 2014 Ooh, against Manchester show. United when he yeah, when he cuts back into the box and curls it into the corner. And it's just such an expertly taken goal. And we do say, what, where did it come from? What a surprise it was. But we all know Jack Grealish can be capable of an excellent, you know, perfectly placed pass. So why not a perfectly placed finish like that? And right into the top corner, it stones everyone. De Gea's not can't, there's nothing he can do about it there's nothing really anyone can do about it and the cutback is just so good and it was a surprise I mean it it stunned me it absolutely stunned me I I really didn't know how to take it because you go to the context of this match and it's a match Villa always get beaten they don't ever come away with anything so historically i go back to the context of my Villa fandom and it's always been a difficult match. It's always been a really difficult match. This one, so, mm-hmm. so to take the lead in such you know excellent fashion against a fan base, you know that may doubt Jack Grealish, that may you know I, I certainly know um, plenty of people in my family who support Manchester United that really haven't taken to Jack Grealish. So for him to do that and show his ability against you know potentially a fan base that may doubt him, it just makes things a little bit sweeter, I think, Cole.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I agree with that because when you look at it, and I, I think I'm right in saying this, he has what, three goals and four assists this season so far? Uh, and with that being said, how crucial and how special is this guy? The one thing, this isn't really about the game, but the one thing that really annoyed me is as soon as that happened, you had commentators going on about saying, well, enjoy it while it lasts because he won't be there that much longer. And it's like, thanks for ruining the moment. But um, no, like, absolutely special player, great to see. And every single side wishes they had someone like Jack Grealish. And I know you'll have certain fan bases saying he's still a joke. He's not that great. And this is just kind of like a, a flash in the pan kind of thing from him, but no, he's a truly special player. He's born and bred for Villa. And with that being said, what a goal, what a way to open that up. And it kind of leads us into a a good theme for the first half um, until we eventually concede because You'd have to say, James, from that point onward, we looked like the better side, of course, until we conceded. Yeah, I think we, the commentators announced it, you
0: know, we had a lot of the ball and teams probably don't go to Old Trafford and expect to have a lot of the ball. It's probably not the most hot style atmosphere, but it, it's Manchester United's home and it has been a, a, a scary stadium, especially under Sir Alex Ferguson's. You know, rain at the club, it wasn't always the best place for teams to come and play. Manchester United were dominant in those years and a big part of that is that scary, scary home from the scary atmosphere and almost the aura that Ferguson had at the stadium. Perhaps it's not there so much so much more anymore, but as a Villa fan to go to, you know, to watch a match being played at Old Trafford and to see your team kind of hold its own. I mean, the context is different. This is not Ferguson's Manchester United, but the context for me is still there. That I don't often see my Aston Villa go to Old Trafford and do anything except get beat. And, you know... In the first half, Villa are a good first half mm-hmm. team. I think that's known. They they do fall away in the second half, which is again something we might might end coming on onto on this podcast. But to you know to get that to get so much of that ball and do things with it and you know look like a threatening team. We had the second goal, and this was an offside goal, wasn't it? So this is when Grealish was moving away from the play, but his trailing foot was offside. He gets back involved in the play about a few seconds after the ball bounces down to him. And then he crosses across for Trezeguet and Wesley, who who bury it, but it's, it's ruled offside because, you know, f- 30 seconds ago, he was walking away from the play and his back foot was offside. So we did have so much impact in that first half and that offside decision really cut me because, yes, it is offside, but the context there shows that there isn't much of an advantage at all because he's walking away from a play that's not even happening yet, that offside decision really
1: i don't know it, it threw up that rule for me call see this is the thing that i don't understand and this is why i hate var it's just we'll get onto the mings goal later of course but like it just puts everything into question you don't know if you should be celebrating or you should be literally walking back because it could be something that's going out for a corner or a goal kick after that it's just it's really tough and it just ruins the flow of the game we've said that enough this season and i don't want to go on about that too much But with that being said, like, okay, yeah, his foot's offside. But if you think about it, he's facing the other way. The United players literally running for the ball, going the other way. I'm thinking, is that really giving him that much of a benefit? And of course, we, we, we can really debate that and get into it. And I'm sure United fans will say we're wrong and it is what it is. And I, I guess by the letter of the law, it is right, but I don't know. It just seems like little things like that, it's so petty. And I, I guess with that being said, James, how do you feel from especially our perspective, if we're going to look at it that way? Like, do you think that should have been given or do you think it's justified in that sense? In, well, under the current rule book, that shouldn't be given because it
0: is offside, the player is further away from the you know, he's he's beyond that offside line, that like the defence create. But I think context, you know, we should award some context here that, you know, the the reason he's offside is because he's heading back from a previous attacking player that broke down and he's walking away diagonally from the football. Like he's not involved in the play at all. So I think you need to give some benefit here. You know, there needs to be maybe a revision of the law because that offside decision, it's right, but the context, the context of it sucks, Cole. It, it's really annoying to see a goal flagged yeah. off because a player was offside, yes, he was offside, but he wasn't involved in the play at all. And the reason he was offside was because he was walking away. It wasn't like he was walking towards the goal. He was walking away from it, quite at a, a distance. He was he was far away from the ball, far away enough from the ball to not affect anything. And yes, he does. He is offside and it's, it's a black and white law, but the rule sucks. I really can't. I, it, what benefit does it serve? It's there to stop goal-hanging, but Grealish isn't goal-hanging. You know, it's 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 there to stop a player just sitting in the box and receiving a long ball and knocking it down and scoring. You know, this this isn't that. This is a player walking away who's been flagged offside because he's got back into he's ran back into play, and I, 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 it doesn't sit well with me at all.
1: No, I can see that. Especially, I think my favorite thing on a humorous note from that um, was the linesman. And he kept his hand up for like the the camera panned to him probably for like a good like twenty seconds. And he just kept that flag up. And I'm thinking, you are really determined that's offside, buddy. It, like, I've never seen them keep the hand up that long. I just thought that was funny, just to mention. I mean, heck of a guess by the linesman to uh, spot that, I think. Oh, absolutely. I
0: just spot that back leg trailing from so far away, I think. And he's, he got it right. Like, by the letter of the rule, he got it right and he flagged correctly. But it was funny because I genuinely thought there might be a chance that VAR overruled that. Of course, it doesn't because when it highlights it, his back foot's offside. But. You know, we can talk about these decisions all day, Cole. This is just the nature of VAR. And there's definitely the Mings incident, which we need to speak about. But we'll we'll come on to that because we're we're processing some kind of chronological order here. And the next thing we really need to speak about is that Manchester United goal. It was a a fantastic goal. And it comes from um, Andrea Pereira crossing it in, finding the back post. And I believe it's Marcus Rashford who heads it in, but the goal wasn't given to him because it bounced off the post. So Rashford heads it down in off the post. But as it goes off the post, it hits the back of Tom Heaton. And it's given as a heat-and-own goal, which is really a bit of robbery, I feel. I think that is that is Rashford's goal. But it's a great cross. It catches Villa out. Villa are trying to play offside for whatever reason. And
1: it falls to the head of Rashford, who can do nothing more than head it across the line yeah and I think the thing with that too and if you're looking from a fantasy perspective I have Heaton on the bench I'm glad I kept him there because I'm sure his points total right now is not looking good after today's game um not saying he had a bad game that's just unlucky it was zero because I play Heaton oh no poor James poor James uh, but if we're going to speak about this now it's a tough one to give and a tough one to take if you're a, um, a fan watching because if you look at that it's a it just starts with mings kind of having a little bit of a what's the way you want to say this a little bit of a turnoff <laughs> just completely didn't pay attention and from there you had Heaton kind of fumble with the ball and slide and try to save the day and then that goes out for the corner and then from there on it was just a complete mess miss marking and if rashford even misses that and clearly hitting the post and you know what it could have went on the other side of the post and missed that's an easy one and a gamey for them and From there on, it it did change the atmosphere from my standpoint, and I think that's still something that it it definitely gets on my back about that because, you know what, it's one-all. Yes, Man United aren't what they used to be. We're definitely in this game, but just the things I see on Twitter, and I don't want to base this just off Twitter – It's just so annoying to see. It's like we're losing 8-0 or something. Yeah, we conceded a goal. It was sloppy. Sure, things happen. But you know what? We fought back in this game. And for seeing some people get on Tyrone Mings for an error, every human makes an error in their life. And professional players make that on a daily basis. And especially within games, every player makes an error. It might not be the one that gives away a goal, but it happens. Um, He clearly rectified that later. But with that being said, for some people to get on his back like he's literally just committed a murder, it's just criminal, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think Tyra Miggs, out of every single Aston Villa player, probably deserves far more benefit of the doubt than anyone else. He's done a lot for Aston Villa and he succeeded in his career because of what he's performed at Aston Villa, you know, coming in from Bournemouth on loan and really, really revitalizing a career that was stored by injuries, getting into the England squad and doing so well. Wow, he deserves some benefit of the doubt. And look, Tyron Mings is an, is an experienced and talented and smart, cerebral, cerebral, sorry, defender. He knows what he's doing. And one of the best qualities he's, he has is that little kind of meandering run he'll do towards the corner flag to, to to relieve Villa of pressure. He knows what he's doing. and I'd rather he do that sometimes than angrily and hastily clear the ball. Yes, sometimes we do need that safety valve of just putting your foot through it. And I think that is proven in this goal that we give away. If we could have relieved so much pressure by putting that foot through the ball. But I think we are playing defensively the right way by playing out from the back. And yes, it doesn't always go the right way. And yes, sometimes you do need to clear it. But nine times out of 10, Cole, we're doing the right thing. And that's because of what Ty Remings is doing. So I think maybe some of the criticism we see is a little bit harsh. It's correct.
1: But I think it's a bit harsh, and maybe he deserves a bit more of a breathing space from us. Oh, 100%. Because even when you look at that, too, because, yeah, he made a mistake there. And, of course, the whole fumbling thing with Heaton right after in the corner, and everything just kind of fell in place for United after that, for that goal, of course. When you look at it, there's there's been more than enough time for players to get back, players to get in position, and other players to mark their men. And they didn't do it. It's a team effort, after all. I just kind of wanted to speak to the fact that I saw some people jump on Tyrone like he literally just conceded eight goals and scored maybe three of them on his own head into our net or something it's just it's unreal to see that but anyways yeah that's my thoughts on that the one thing I want to know James from you especially how did you think Heaton played today because I I do notice some people are a fan some people aren't and you know what I thought he had a pretty steady game
0: yeah look I think it's probably the steadiest game you'll have as a goalkeeper against Manchester United and, uh, you know, being that team on the back foot for the most part. There were some shaky moments, like when he fumbled the clearance. But look, when you're seeing the ball bounce towards this, uh, this defensive line of Mings and Konza... And you're seeing players like Daniel James and Anthony Martial running at this, 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 you know, to get that second ball. And you've seen Tom Heaton rush out to pre it. And look, he doesn't, he hasn't able to affect the play, but he's got the, you know, he's got the intelligence to affect the game. And look, I can't really take much criticism of Tom Heaton because he has kept us in games. I think he was pretty good against Newcastle. And look, the, the shots he had to save were pretty soft. Like they weren't nothing dangerous, but look, he has saved us so many points in so many games. And again, it's like Tyrone Mings. If we're going to criticize Heaton for whatever in that game, maybe he has earned a little bit of benefit of the doubt, exactly like Mings.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fair. It's it's tough, like especially it's tough talking about, in my opinion, Mings and Heaton because if I was going to say anything, they've probably been arguably our two best players. If you look at it, uh, both keeping us in so many different games and getting us points we desperately need. Um, Heaton, what a buy in my opinion. Mings, what a buy. Um, it's tough from that perspective. But when you look at it in an overall thing, especially from heaton standpoint, what can he really do? The first one's unlucky. We'll get onto the second one in a little bit here. He's a class keeper. We we bought him really. If you look at the way the climate is for in terms of purchasing players, it is a bargain. We got a a guy we can use probably for five plus years. And you know what? It, it was a good purchase. I do, I just I'm ranting on about things from Twitter. It's just when you see that one person say something that's so idiotic and just outright insane, it's it just leaves me thinking like, where is some of our fan base? Where did the minds go? Yeah,
0: I think a lot of the disappointment of this result because it is a two two draw, and it was a, a a match that I mean, if you look at the Grealish chance he missed, and the fact that we were in the lead, and the fact that we seemed you know fairly aggressive in the game, it's a match that many of our fans will feel like we could have won. But I think, again, you add that context and I think the historical context here says that Villa have earned a point at Old Trafford and that is not something that is often the case in the history of this club. So I'm pretty proud of how he performed and I think there are people on Twitter who are annoyed and I think that comes from maybe looking at this team, and you look at the makeup of Aston Villa, and you look at Jack Grealish, and you look at Mings and McGinn. They're not destined to be at this club forever because they are. If Aston Villa aren't able to, you know, capital, capitalise on their performances and capitalise on these specific players, they will move on to clubs that are challenging consistently and constantly for trophies. So I think a lot of frustration does come from the fact that Villa. Nick, you can see the fact that they'll be able to get a win here. You can see that they'll be able to beat Manchester United. And for some, it would feel like they have lost the chance to get an extra two points and really push up the table. But realistically speaking, we are going to lose these players because this season is about consolidation and building upon and stabbing ourselves back in the Premier League. And the timelines for this simply don't match up, Cole. So maybe a lot of annoyance comes from the fact that, look, these brilliant players, these lovable, these likeable players Aren't going to be here forever, so maybe that affects the opinions or or how
1: we distill that match in our minds. I think the thing that people have to remember is enjoy the moment, uh, not only in football within life, of course, but uh, just enjoy it because, like you said, these players aren't here forever, and rarely do timelines ever match up in terms of player progression, their status, where they're going and essentially where clubs are at uh very rarely do you see that unless you're at a, a real madrid or a barcelona or a very top-end club does that ever uh really match up because look where villa are it's a consolidation season like you said we're working towards a goal of staying in this league and in my opinion being staying where we belong um yeah i don't know <laughs> we've kind of got off topic a little bit but uh yeah let's move on to the second half <laughs> Yes,
0: I think the main event really um, before the goals of the the second half was the way that Villa kind of approached the game. And I really thought, look, this is going to be a typical Villa second half and we're not going to capitalise and we're going to fade. Villa have faded a lot this season in the second half. There's plenty, you know, there's games like Arsenal and Tottenham we can point to, particularly against, you know, these bigger sides, these stronger sides, these, you know, quote unquote more talented sides and the sides that are meant to have better coaching teams that probably don't. But these are teams that we've um we've sat off against in the second half or we've faded. Um, this is a, this is a pattern for Lavina now. So when a second half does come, I think it's only right to expect a a drop in performances and maybe we did see a little bit of that. It wasn't anywhere close to the first half Um, but Villa did have a really big chance to score goal and that comes from Jack Grealish as he cut back across the face of goal and he gets to it and it's like he he seems surprised to to the fact that he's the only player to get to this ball none of the Manchester United defenders are getting getting to it. De Gea has ignored it and he has it in the face of goal but he pushes it wide. He lunges for it and pushes
1: it wide and I think at 1-1 how much does that change that match? Oh, that's a massive turning point you got to think if we're if we're up 2-1 there you have to question does their goal go in do we grab another and kind of see that uh, game out there and grab all three points it's a massive one it's kind of it's interesting because it's like when it's coming to Grealish, it's like the ball is so simple and so easy for it to happen it's almost like it psychs them out it's just too simple um it's a really tough one to take and you know what i i don't want to assess it too much because if anyone on this Villa squad knows that they should have scored that it's Jack Grealish. And if there's anyone that's going to be hard on themselves determined and know they're going to work harder um, going into the next game and hopefully put something like that away in the future, it's Jack Grealish. So with that being said, it's, it's tough. Yes. It should have went in. Yes. It's a gimme things like that happen. And you know what? Uh, It's unfortunate to concede basically almost right after that. And yeah, let's, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, back post header by Victor Lindelof
0: gives Manchester United the lead shortly after Grealish misses that quote-unquote sitter. So I think we all looked at that miss as maybe the turning point of the match. And essentially it would have been um, because directly after Manchester United go up the pitch and score from a set piece. And, you know, Lindelof, he, he heads at the back post and he beats all the defenders. And, you know, he's annoying to have all this defensive power and be beaten by two headers by two headers that our defenders don't have much to do with and this one comes because Wesley he heads the ball he tries to head the ball and he, he does head it but it bounces backwards over everyone um to Lindelof who he manages to nod it down and I think I really can't criticize Wes too much for that because look as one of the tallest players on the pitch as someone he's brought back from up front to defend in these situations he, he he has to get his head to it he has to jump and get anything possible to this ball that he can. He does, unfortunately, he doesn't get the bounce of it right. I mean, the I think the term is a uh, 50 pence head. So the, the the angular coin we have in the United Kingdom, Cole. So it just comes a flat the wrong way and bounces backwards. But look, if he doesn't jump for it, he's going to be criticised. And he's not just going to be criticised by the fans. They're going to watch that tape over and they're going to be looking at Wes and they're going to say, you're tall enough to jump for that ball and you're, in that, you're zonally in that position to defend that ball. So why aren't you? You know? And he does. Look, he jumps for it. And now only we as fans can criticise it and say, look, the bounce was wrong. But that that isn't his fault. He barely gets a touch on it. You know, it's only due to his height and jumping power that he manages to get to it in the first place. So it does unfortunately bounce across everyone to Lindelof, who nods in. And it's just a, a really unfortunate incident for Aston Villa. And it piles up with that context again. Our history at Old Trafford, the fact that we were, were in the lead, we had that goal right re- re- off, offside, then Jack Grealish misses a sitter and then they score and it just feels like this is not our game really quickly. It all ramps up to be a bit misery i think
1: yeah it kind of made it feel like it was gonna after that second one in went in and this is just going to be a third for them they're going to win 3-1 or something like that just the whole attitude and everything seemed to kind of drop from a fan perspective um and you know what james you spoke about our history of playing united it's not very good i almost wonder if sir alex wasn't there today maybe it's just because his presence is there who knows honestly because, <laughs> I don't know, it's something about that side. But no, like from Wesley's standpoint, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. If he jumps for it and it doesn't go his way, uh, he's easy to blame. And if he doesn't, then it's easy to blame as well. Uh, with that being said, and kind of looking at Wesley right now, how do you feel he played today? I think he's getting better as he's kind of pressing forward rather than
0: an out-and-out goal-scoring striker as it were look against Newcastle he didn't stop running and hassling players and you know he doesn't pick always pick his moments but from what we're seeing of Wesley after this international break and you know congratulations on him for being capped for Brazil as well as Douglas Luiz I think it's a massive achievement For not just those two players, but us as a football club to have have our first two Brazilian internationals capped at almost the same time. Well, in the same international break. So, you know, congratulations to those pair. But after that international break, he's come back and he, he looks ready to press. And we will speak about this Newcastle match because there is a big Wesley moment we need to discuss in that. But I think we have seen a more energetic and a a more more of a presence from Wesley, more of a defensive, you know, that last line, the first line of defense from Wesley, pressing these defenders and getting involved in the midfield battle. And you know, the hold up play is excellent. He he struggled against Newcastle United because they put three bodies on him. You're gonna struggle. And he, today he had Harry Maguire to deal with, which isn't the easiest change for anyone to cope with, let alone a, a player in his first season of a premier league football but i think he's getting better but we're not going to see what fans want to see which is out and out goal scoring all the time we're seeing a lot of busy work from
1: him yeah no that's fair i don't i i still believe he's just not a pure goal scorer he's more of a i I wouldn't put him in the same kind of uh caliber not caliber kind of same depiction of like a keenan davis where he's like a utility man can do a bit of everything but i think everything that wesley offers uh, kind of points to someone who you want to get the ball up to, and he's going to create space, create time and essentially set up things for your wide men and your bring to bring your midfielders in. And I think that's what Wesley is. A lot of people are still a little, I think disillusioned and think, why didn't we go and buy a 20 goal score? Well, tell me where we can find one because uh, I think a lot of teams in the Premier league would definitely want that. Uh, no, like he's going to pop in with, a few goals here and there. I think I predicted at the start of the season that he'd maybe get around 10 to 12 or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, with that being said, it's, it's a tough one because I did think he had had a good game. Yeah. He didn't pop in with a goal, but he just, it's one of those things where he offers something else that is leading to goals in that, in my opinion, no matter where you're playing, that's just as important.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing a, a lot of good signs from Wesley in terms of how he's fitting into this team rather than his out-and-out goal-scoring stats. But Villa jumped back into this match for a goal-scorer, and it's not Wesley, but it is a big man up front. It's Tyrone Mings who manages to avoid the offside trap, call it completely out. I mean, he's miles on his own at this point, but when the ball is played, he's perfectly onside, a brilliantly timed run into the box. And what a finish. I mean, him and Trezeguet are there on island, untouched. And Mings has all the time in the world to score, he does score, but what the most annoying thing about this goal is that he didn't celebrate, and in fact, he refused to celebrate. He ran back to the the centre circle, and he had every reason to celebrate. This is an equalising goal against Manchester United. This is not something that is common for Aston Villa. He does it. He scores, and look, it's been a hard match for him. He, he made a mis- he made a mistake in judgment early on in the match, and he wasn't able to aerially deal with two of the goals that came in over his head. Then he scores. He runs back. He doesn't celebrate. When people are questioning him, slapping on the back, he just mouths. Don't know. Like, he doesn't know. No one knows if that's onside or offside because everyone knows that VAR, whether you like it or not or whether it's right or wrong, whether it's legit or, no unlegit, it's going to get involved. So players in these situations, when they are
1: on an island after calling out that offside trap, don't know if they're on or off. Oh, 100%. Like, this is my issue with this whole VAR system and I kind of said it earlier there's just so much uncertainty no one knows what's going on it's like okay I, you could honestly score the screamer of the century and you're you might not even celebrate because you know what it might not count like it's gotten that questionable and that bad in my opinion where no one knows where the exact line is and it, it's clear because when you look at a ref from a referee standpoint Like, surely they would have known right away. Like, give the guys some assurances because that is one hell of a goal to score. That's a big way to score your first goal for Villa, I believe, if I'm correct. Um, nice little sideways scissor kick and you know what (laughs) put him up front because that was pretty good (laughs) but uh, no that was great to see from him would have been nice to see him celebrate because it is a big moment for Tyrone to score your first goal Um, and especially in such an emotional way where you can easily be caught out and blamed for the first goal um, from um, going for United and to uh, work your way back really and get the second goal to tie it there and ultimately earns us a point. It, it's a huge moment for him. And it, again, it's it's a shame VAR is taking away a good moment.
0: Yeah, I think he does that a lot. And, you know, it makes itself a villain. We saw John McGinn um, score against Burnley, I think it was, after having a goal ruled offside and he, he mocked VAR. So it's almost like it interferes in the match and it almost becomes some sort of a villain. And now it has such clout and it obviously would do. That players are just seemingly unaware of celebrating the spontaneity of the game has come out. I saw tweets about people in pubs not knowing that you know not knowing what to do when that one went in. Like usually, whatever the weather, when it goes in, people are cheering, and then it's just a disappointment afterwards of the offside flag. Now it's taken all the oomph out of the celebration before it even goes in. When it goes in, no one's celebrating. No one knows what to do. So I think it's a situation
1: where it has probably crushed that that spontaneity. I would say so. Uh if you guys want a funny moment right now, which I don't even know how to explain what happened. Um my roommate's dog was sitting with me watching this and when they were kind of questioning <laughs> if it was a goal or not, his head kind of went up to like it, I'm thinking how is that not a goal and his head goes up to question it too. So, <laughs> um <laughs> for listeners at home, I hope you enjoy that story because I was thinking how the hell does this dog know what's going on right now? But uh, yeah, that's my little story there. But anyways, to get to more serious uh, talking points now, it's, it is a shame. And you know what? Looking at Tyrone Mings as a a person and a professional, like it just, it, it makes me proud to see him do that first and foremost, but to, to really grind that out and to come back. And I'm kind of talking about the same thing I just talked about previously to get that goal. It, it, it's a big moment. And you know what? I, I I think from now on, especially maybe from his standpoint, if I was him, I would just, any opportunity I'd get when I'm scoring a goal, no matter if it goes in or not, I'm celebrating like a crazy person. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, 2-2 for Aston Villa at Old
0: Trafford against Manchester United isn't a disappointing result at all for most Aston Villa fans. But Dean Smith is a little bit frustrated. His quotes have just come out. He's speaking to Aston Villa right now. He says he's a little bit frustrated because our first half performance was very good. Aside from their goal, it was a spirited display. And I think that matches us all. I think most of us are happy with the result. It's a great point. It's a good point. It's a point to build on. It's another run in this little bit of an undefeated thing that's going on. Newcastle first, we beat them. A draw against Old Trafford away from home is nothing to you know, sniff at. Um, it's just that little bit of frustration underlying because we were so good in that first half apart from that little blimp when they had a goal. But Cole, I'm going to hand it over to you. We need a match ball. Match ball.
1: Um, That's actually a good question because honestly, I didn't think about it until you just asked me. So that's a little scary. Poor organization on my <laughs> standpoint. But I'm going to go with... Um, you know what? I'm going to go with Tyrone Mings. Purely the comeback story in this game for him is fantastic. Um, basically, blame for the first one, like I said before, to come back and score the the basically the goal that obviously gets us the point. It's a great moment for him. I thought he had a pretty solid game aside from that. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it to big Tyrone.
0: Oh, it's a tough question for me. I think there's a, a plenty of players who definitely came in with a shout, Tyrone. Um, bounce back from probably a previous error to give the lead. Look calm and composed after you know failing to clear the ball. Uh, there's a lot of players. I think Tresge maybe in the A lot of good hustle from him. I felt after coming in for Amal Algarzi, who unfortunately picked up a knee injury. But I'm going to have to go for one player who changed the game, and he really did. It's Jack Grealish. for better for the worse. That the, the The goal in the first half was excellent. Maybe the miss in the second half takes a little bit of the shine away. But if there's one player for Aston Villa who makes things happen on a consistent basis, it is Jack Grealish. And, you know, he's performing at such a high bar right now that even maybe a 7 out of 10 game for him seems like almost disappointing, whereas for any other player, it would have been a man of the match performance. But no, he gets the goal today. Could have had more. I felt he was very good though and more than deserving of a match ball. We'll definitely get Danny's uh, in the future but we've got another match to speak about um Aston Villa managed to hold a Manchester United legend to a point today but earlier in the week they beat another Manchester United legend Steve Bruce in charge of Newcastle United couldn't beat Aston Villa his side were tepid and disappointing at Villa Park as Villa strolled to uh a 2-0 win call that I don't think was always coming Newcastle did shut down the park with a, a Deep block, five at the back, almost six at the back sometimes with Shelby dropping in. And it was only two set pieces from Conor Harahan that were able to unlock the game for Aston Villa. Newcastle were forced to push up after Harahan scored, then assisted for Anwar Al-Ghazi. Tuno,
1: Aston Villa, a deserved result. And it it was a must-win at the time goal. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of uh, interesting when you say that because when you look at their lineup, it it actually looked pretty decent. Um, Obviously, their front three on paper looks pretty decent and they didn't show up at all, which I was surprised about very defensive at the back. And that's kind of what you expect from a Steve Bruce side, especially. But I think on the main point here, James is I think we need Danny to start giving us absurd, um, predictions because he predicted a four nil and we won two nil's half the score. Um, none of us, I don't think besides that were really even close. So uh, Danny, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, please predict outrageous score lines going forward because it seems to work, but no, uh, on a more, more serious uh, standpoint, uh, very pleasing performance, very professional performance uh, from Villa overall. Um, it didn't really see, seem like Newcastle really caught us out or um, really made a struggle for much of the game. There's your half chances here and there. But besides that, uh, it it kind of, in my opinion, James, felt like Villa were in complete control most of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the start, it was a bit difficult. Again, that deep block settling in and Villa were kind of having to pick around the edges to try and find a chance to score. Um, The two set pieces are very well deserved. I think Steve Bruce will be quite upset to be uh, undone by them after, you know, he does drill his teams and these set pieces. So it must be a bit annoying for Conor Harran to put in one and then put in the assist in for another. It was a, I wouldn't say we were expecting to romp home to a 4 0 win. I think that is a bold and optimistic prediction, which is what we've come to expect from from Danny um, this season. (laughs) But yeah, uh, earned victory. It was an earned victory for sure, Cole. And I think we could have went on to have more. We certainly had the chances. Wesley uh, missed a big one. Um, but Martin Dubrovka for for Newcastle was something else that game. And I think, you know, my Villa bias wants to hand Jack as a Man of the Match, as he was done, uh, for Sky Sports. But Dubrovka had a hell of a game. And I, I, I think he was more deserving of it. That save, there was a few saves he pulled off in the first half. But I think Wesley's miss... Should be more it should be accredited to a, a really good Dubravka save because that that's an instinctive finish to go between go low between the goalkeeper's legs and in Debravka gets down and saves it and it's like his fourth or fifth great save of that game to keep Newcastle you know the only reason Newcastle was still in that game and able to bring on these attacking options is because of debravka.
1: Yeah, what did they buy him for? Like three million, James? It wasn't much, I believe. He was at Slavia Prague before, mm-hmm. um, so I can't
0: see him being brought across for you know tens of millions. So maybe a cheaper boy there, but yes, certainly earned. And you know, if he carries up that, like, he's been good this season. And uh, a great performance against Aston Villa. And these things will get you noticed and get you a move to, um, you know, a big club, as big as Newcastle. This will get you paid. And a multi 1000000 deal pound to maybe a Europa League or Champions League competing club. He's certainly put himself on the radar and definitely did that against Aston Villa.
1: Heaton was fantastic as well, but Dabravka really took the cake. So, well done, Oh, absolutely. I wanted to touch on Dabravka as well because... uh you know what, I'll be honest, and if some Villa fans don't like this, too bad, because if we didn't have Heaton, I'd want Bravka. He's a great shot stopper, all-around solid keeper, uh, someone safe hands, kind of thing like that. Um honestly if I'm going to give my match ball for that and give it early I would actually if I'd have to give it to Debravka, I wouldn't even give it to a Villa player because he was that outstanding yeah he conceded two goals but honestly it could have been like four or five nil at one point we were absolutely hammering them within a few instances and without him I honestly don't know where Newcastle would be right now
0: yeah it was a bit of a disappointing match for Newcastle because it's that Steve Bruce thing where they just put on more strikers. If they're down, they put on more strikers. And look, I mean, he isn't solely responsible for everything that goes on onto the pitch. It's when he gives the instructions to players go out to perform it. And they were really disappointing. Uh, when they sat back, they probably onto a good idea of set, setting for the point. But maybe they should have showed Villa a bit more respect and went out our throats. Because, you know, the game, for the most part, could have been there to be had. And if we weren't two goals in front, Newcastle were threatening And in that second half. They they pressed Douglas Louise out of the game uh, for a short period where you know he didn't seem able to cope with what they were throwing at him. And Tyrone Mings had a few errors as well due to the press. So if it was there, evident all game, they'd have threatened them But no, it's a Steve Bruce thing of chucking them more. Strikers, Andy Carroll comes on, Dwight Gayle comes on, Joe Linton goes off and Christian Atsu comes on. You know, it's more attacking players, more forward players. And the thinking isn't there. Andy Carroll may have a good shot. I don't remember Dwight Gale being in the game. Um, Nothing happened for Newcastle. Um, Tom Heaton was able to deal with anything they threw at him. Tough game. They lose the points. The question's raised on them. We go home into this Manchester United game with three points and a must win. Uh, Let's wrap it
1: up there. Let's take a match ball from you for Newcastle. Um, I'll I'll stick with, I said before, like, if I'm going to say an overall one, I'm going to give it to Dubravka because I think he was that good. Um, But if I was going to just go uh, heavily Villa here, um, I would probably, I'd probably have to say Grealish. I thought he was pretty outstanding. How about yourself?
0: I'll go for Connor Harahan, Um, game changer. Maybe without the set pieces, it would have been a trickier game for Newcastle because it would, it would have legitimized their attempt to go for a point if we didn't have Harahan. You now that, that free kick, that left-sided free kick he always does, where it finds the corner and it goes around the outside, and from out to in, it's just a trademark now, and it happens so often that you know it's it's unstoppable. The Brathgrad no saying that, and uh, we was able to gain the lead, and then we get the other set piece, and he crosses that in for Algarzi to score. He changed the game, and maybe just maybe it would have been a lot tougher to earn that win without him. So Conor Harahan has done himself proud and probably kept himself in the Villa team for a while because I know there's that trend of him going in and out, Cole. But we've got two games to preview. We'll get Danny's match balls later down the line for another podcast. But we've got two games to preview. They're coming in thick and fast. First, we've got Chelsea on Wednesday. This is going to be a difficult test, Cole. Under Frank Lampard, they've been rejuvenated. It's actually a likeable Chelsea team. Frank Lampard has had absolutely no same transfers this season because... They're operating under the remit of a transfer ban. Yes, they've had to bring in Mason Mount, Fiako Tamori into the lineup. Tammy Abraham, of course, who's struggling with an injury at the moment, so we don't know if he'll play. But it's a likable, certainly likable Chelsea team that's performing well, even without Eden Hazard. So, you know, this is going to be another
1: tough match away from home against a team that usually beat Villa. Yeah, and it's funny you say that. I can't remember the last time I actually was thinking to myself I actually don't mind this Chelsea side and that's nothing against their fans or their team or anything like that but historically a lot of opposition fans aren't the biggest fan of Chelsea but it's funny with them too because essentially you don't really know what to expect the start of the season they're very inconsistent uh, high goal scoring tallies there, um, not always getting the results and then they kind of had a decent solid period of a lot of W's and they moved on from there and now of course of course they drew in the Champions uh, Champions League midweek. Um obviously last week when you're probably hearing this. And uh of course they lost to West Ham on Saturday, 1-0. So it's gonna be interesting from a Ville perspective, like what kind of team we're gonna get because you have to think, uh both these teams have games on the weekend of course, so I would expect a decent amount of rotation there. Um, and yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting one because obviously we don't know if they're going to be missing Tammy Abraham and I'm hoping he misses it because I would not want to see him score against us. That's going to be a little bit of a, uh, hurt to the, uh, the heartstrings there for myself, but, uh, no, it's going to be an interesting one. And with that kind of thing being said, James, how do you feel about it? Because, Like, What side do you think we should expect, I guess I'm trying to ask?
0: I'm not really too sure because I don't think we'll see Abraham because injury, Um, but they have had a few games coming up thick and fast and they lost to West Ham, so maybe some changes from that one. Maybe there'll be a few force changes. Um, Giroud started for them against West Ham, and of course he was linked to a, a move to Villa. Um, wasn't he? I, I think that, that little trashy rumor mm-hmm. came out a few weeks ago. Whether you're interested or not in jerome moving to Villa might be a, a thing, but um, against the West Ham team playing Mikael Antonio up front, that they lost. So it was a bit of a surprise result. Cole, um, this is a team. I don't really want to go into a line. I don't. Re- I'm not really in the business of predicting a lineup. Top four team, and look, you look at the table alone, mate. They are in the bottom running for the title, 14 points behind. But look at the others. I mean, Leicester second on 32, which is still eight points behind. Liverpool really, really setting the pace. But this top four club are on an island away. You know, Chelsea are six points clear of fifth place Tottenham, which is just crazy. That's, That's crazy. I didn't... Yeah, Leicester, who are second are on 32 points. So, you know, the total starts at 40 and it ends at 26 and no one else is in the hunt. And Liverpool are running away with it. So this is, you know, you look at this evolved top four this season, the matches we've played against Tottenham, who are meant to be good and now aren't. Arsenal, who are meant to be good and aren't. And Manchester United, who are meant to be good and aren't. And we have... Enjoyed a bit of luck in those games. We've had stuff turn against us. We're the only one we've left with a point was today against Manchester United. Is this is going to be a different test, Chelsea. Compare, you know, I'm comparing this more to the Liverpool and Man City games rather than
1: Man United and Arsenal. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, and it like this month is so crucial and. Um, I was saying in the group chat to you and Danny last night, I think this is the month that could ultimately define where we finish the season. I wouldn't say so much if if we go up or stay down, but um, definitely from a staying up standpoint, I guess um, it'd give us a good idea and good indication of where we're going from here because the games come thick and faster. This month isn't forgiving and it's not for the lighthearted. That's for sure. Uh, when I look at Chelsea, it's just, it's so unpredictable because you look at so many of these players, there are some, still some big names there. and um, I, It's funny because I look at it and I think, okay, you have to be respectful. But I kind of go into this game with no fear, and I'm not saying that because they just lost. Because if anyone in their right mind is thinking about this, they're probably thinking, well, Chelsea are probably looking for blood, looking for revenge and to rectify that loss there. But I kind of look at that the same way I looked at the United game is where uh, Chelsea even this year especially under Lampard and we saw that at Derby last year they play very open attacking minded football Um, so do we and of course it would be nice to see more goals from our standpoint Um, but I think it's going to be an open game I'm not predicting anything but it just feels like it's going to be an open game there's going to be opportunities both ways Um, and yeah with that being said uh it's going to be tough and I'm going to have to give my prediction now because if I don't, I feel like I'm just going to absolutely uh, b- bewilder myself. I'm going to go uh, one-all. Let's be nice about that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to Chelsea's lineup, there's a lot of youthful talent in it. There's still a lot of maybe, these are former elite caliber players. You look at Jorginho and Pedro for, for two players, I don't who can really change things, but it's just the bench so against you know Manchester United. They're bringing on, against West Ham United, sorry. They're bringing on Kante, Willian. And they've even got, you know, players who would get into this villa team like Batshuayi on the bench, hudson It's It's crazy and... You know, there is a lot of youth that has been enforced in this team and maybe there's a little bit of naivety in a, you know, a relatively new head coach in a younger team to exploit. But Tamori and Kurt Zuma are great players that, you know, solid defenders. It's not going to just be an easy challenge just because they're young and not maybe the typical Chelsea players you'd go against. These, you know, like the elite calibre players that they're usually able to buy and bring in, you know. It's almost like been a cosmopolitan team for a long time and now it's got a different identity, more a more likeable Identity, so even a rotated Chelsea side is still going to be a a danger to us. And the one thing I think we do have going for us is maybe the congestion of games. It's going to affect us as well. But Chelsea have had to play in the Champions League. They've had to play in the cups. It's it's not always. It's not going to be. You know, maybe the typical game. Maybe it might be a bit, little bit, and I don't like saying it, a little bit of a free hit because it's against a team that should beat us. It's midweek. There's fixture congestion. We'll probably be looking again at Leicester City, maybe for a realistic result because that'll be at home and it's against against a side that we could probably tangle with a bit more than Chelsea away. Um, as good as Leicester City are on 32 points, and you know, surprisingly in the, the title contention under Brendan Rogers, a great team, James Madison, really thriving. Jamie Vardy still doing his thing. I'm looking at, um, the Chelsea games, perhaps harder. As odd well as that huh. would sound.
1: That's, no, that's an interesting standpoint. I actually thought the Leicester game would be harder, but again, and I don't want to tie kind of both previews in, but I guess we're going to probably do anyways, um, into one another. When I look at Leicester, especially a lot of those games and you made some good points are very tight score lines, Like, They almost actually got a point against Liverpool and you never know how that could have rocked Liverpool from that standpoint, uh, very tight games um, in that kind of perspective. And you are right because it's, I, I honestly, these two games are so hard to get your mind around and so hard to predict because you don't really know what to expect. And usually I can kind of look at a game before and I have some indication, but when games are coming this thick and this fast, so much rotation, um, you're going against, obviously, Leicester in second now, I believe, still. Uh, Chelsea, I believe, are in fourth. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. A lot of people are probably thinking, well, there's zero points right there. But like you said before, James, I think this is an opportunity with either of these sides to kind of catch them in a, in a poor moment. Yeah, and when I say Leicester City are... Perhaps an easier
0: fixture. There's not there's not much in it between this and Chelsea. The reason I go with Leicester is because it's at home, you know, and it's it's a few days removed from Wednesday, and you know from you t- know today we've we've spent everything against Manchester United. Have to go down to London, uh, travel down and play another fixture away from home. Whereas on Saturday, you know, Sunday against Leicester, we'll we'll be at our place, and you know, the, Leicester have the best goal difference in the league. They've got they've only conceded nine this season, but maybe if we're looking at losing against Chelsea, there's, could we snap to draw against Leicester? Maybe likely. I, I'm really hoping on that. Prediction time, Nicole, to end the podcast. Um, I'm going to go with a 2-1 loss against Chelsea and a 1-1 draw against Leicester City. Oh, wow.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go, like I said before, a few minutes ago, I'm going to go 1-1 Chelsea. I just think it's there to be had right now um, with the their fixture congestion especially. Um, and for Leicester, oh, that's a tough one. I'm actually gonna go with a i'm gonna go with a two one loss I just think their momentum is so fantastic right now. Rodgers is doing a brilliant job um I just think in my opinion they're they're at it right there they're going for it. I don't think obviously they'll win the league, but they offer so much going forward and The only thing I'll say, and I guarantee my Leicester prediction will be wrong, but the only thing I'll say is, is if we nick the first goal against a side that has conceded the least amount of goals in the league, that's a great uh, mental boost. And that's something that can definitely benefit us uh, Win, lose or draw for that. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, again, not much in it. It's
0: two really tough games coming up one after another, but today it was meant to be a tough game and we managed to emerge from a point in a place where Villa don't usually go, Cole. So I think wrapping it up, a lot to be positive about, mate. Um, you can catch me at Jema Rushton. You can catch Cole at Talk Aston Villa. You can find the absent Danny at Raza Journal, And you can definitely find us all together at 7500 to Holt. We'll be back next week after the Leicester City match where hopefully Villa can nick a point or maybe even three. Who knows? We'll see you soon and up the Villa. Goodbye.